open to Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13. Uh, talking to several of you this morning, mentioned some cold and seasonal sickness going on. It's that time of year when I'm singing and it sounds like I'm wearing earmuffs. And you might know that feeling. And even though I can barely carry a tune, I can carry it even less now. Uh, but uh, it's still a joy to sing, sing out uh, to the Lord. If you have your Bibles, Mark 13, and uh, it's page 849 uh, in the Pew Bible. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 23, Lord willing, this morning. Uh, public service announcement for a warning. We may not get through all 23 verses this morning. So uh, I have it tentatively scheduled to have a part one and part two. Uh, so um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> There's a lot to cover here, but yet it's one thought uh, in, in the mind of Mark here. And so I wanted to, to take it all together, but obviously a lot of verses to get through. So if you found your way to Mark 13, uh, let's pray, and then I'll read verses 1 through 23. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be here and to lift our voices to you. Lord, you are a God who is seated high and lifted up. Lord, at your right hand sits your Son, Jesus, the one who is our Savior. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, may we understand uh, that he has communicated to the disciples here and through Mark sovereignly uh, recorded, Lord, what we needed to hear today. Lord, I pray that you would give us insight and understanding, help us to uh, submit ourselves to the text, um, and Lord, to be changed by it, to think, how does this help me be more like Jesus? What are the truths about you, God, that I can glean from this passage? Lord, we love you. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, 
Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not has been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. During my time as a youth pastor uh, at one of my previous churches up in uh, Mason City, one of our favorite events throughout the year was our, our mission trip. Uh, we took a yearly mission trip or, or service trip during the summer, and uh, we went to many different places. We went to Chicago to help a church planner a couple times. We went to Alaska a couple times. Uh, we went to a, um, it's called Missionary Acres. It's a, in a sense, a retirement village uh, for missionaries and pastors down in Missouri and did work projects there, uh, just all kinds of different things. And so it was, it was a highlight of our calendar year uh, as a youth group and really enjoyed those times. There's a lot of, obviously, details and, and uh, administrative things that go into that, but it was such a wonderful thing for, uh, to get away, to spend time with the students, to uh, immerse them in the ministry and maybe break down some of those things that always keep their attention at home, uh, things like cell phones and video games and things like that, and kind of break them from that for a week or 10 days. And it was always an enjoyable time. But one of the things that always drove me crazy was this, is there were always one or two or three kids that always had to know exactly what we were going to do next, right? Now, I, you know, and contrary to maybe my wife's opinion sometimes, usually have a plan. Uh, <laughs> I know what I'm, I'm going to do, or I know what's next in the day. And we would hand out a, a general itinerary to parents so they knew where we were and what we were doing. But many times we would be um, serving or working and, um, or the kids needed to be doing something, and I would tell them, okay, this is what you need to be doing. You need to be doing this, this, or this, and do one of those things. Okay, then what, Pastor Greg? Don't worry about it. Well, then what? What are we going to do then? Don't worry about it. Well, what about tomorrow? Don't worry about it. What are we going to have for supper tomorrow night? Don't worry about it. They wanted to know all these details about what was next. And that was part of, in a sense, the, uh, one of the pressures of the mission trip is to encourage them to trust. They knew that they were there on the trip and they had an overarching idea of what they should be doing. But they didn't know all the details, and that's okay. It was good for them to know and to learn, I have my job I'm doing now. I know I'm going to do something in the future. You know, later this afternoon, I don't know what that is. And I need to focus right now on what's important. But time and time again, what's next, Pastor Greg? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? And, and for a couple of them, it was, in a sense, uh, an issue that they had to deal with. It was something that God was working on in their life, saying, you don't need to know all the details. You don't need to know exactly everything that's going to be happening, but you need to trust the leaders, trust the people who are in charge, and do what you're supposed to do right now. As we come to this passage this morning, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples. As we come to Mark 13, and Jesus foretells quite a bit about the future, the disciples want to know details. 
And Jesus gives them very little detail. (laughs) But he reminds them, this is what you need to be focused on. You want to know all the specifics, disciples. You want to know exactly how it's going to happen and, and when it's going to occur. But listen, you need to focus on the big picture and you need to be mindful of what I'm calling you to. Our big idea this morning is this from Mark 13, 1 through 23. Amidst the coming destruction of the temple and the return of Christ, we are called to be faithful disciples on guard against being led astray. Amidst the coming destruction of the temple and the future return of Christ, we are called to be faithful disciples on guard against being led astray. As I was reading and studying this week, uh, one commentator said this about Mark 13, and it was very, very helpful and also um, not frustrating, sobering. (laughs) Uh, They said this, the application of Mark 13, which is known as the Olivet Discourse, is complicated since three audiences must be kept in mind. The original hearers of Jesus, the disciples who he's talking to, the church of Mark's day that Mark wrote to specifically, and then our contemporary world. There's a lot of layers to this. And it's helpful to remind ourselves of that, that as Jesus is speaking to the disciples in a very real sense right there. But Mark is also recording these and he's sharing with the church in the first century and we have it now 2,000 years later. So it's helpful to think through all of those levels as we come to Mark 13. Amidst the coming destruction of the temple and the return of Christ, we are called to be faithful. Faithful disciples on guard against being led astray. The disciples in this passage, they are so proud of the temple complex. They are so proud of what it is. And they think that this human achievement is so impressive, but Jesus declares it will be destroyed. And this is really his culmination of his teaching uh, in the temple and of the temple. The disciples are curious then, well, when's this gonna happen, Jesus? Jesus' response gives some characteristics, but his desire, his overall desire is to warn the disciples not to be swayed by false teachers and to be overcome by the difficult circumstances. Jesus reminds them they must remain faithful as they await the fulfillment of God's plan. So as we look here at verses 1 through 23, which is the first half of Mark 13, which uh, encompasses the first pericope or the first big idea, um, there are, are three things that we are to beware of as we come to this chapter. First off, we need to beware of hoping in the wrong things. We need to beware of coming difficulties in our lives and in the world around us. And we need to beware of coming enemies, of those who will actively seek to undermine the gospel of Christ. So let's look here at verses 1 through 23, and uh, we'll see how far we get. But we're going to start uh, in verses 1 and 2, be wearing, we need to be aware of hoping in the wrong things. So the context here, Mark 11 and 12, Jesus has been in the temple teaching. Right, we've walked through these this past few weeks and all these questions that the religious leaders have had for Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what about this? What about this? What about this? Seeking to trap him. And Jesus has answered correctly in the way only Jesus can. Usually, turning the question on its head and demonstrating how they, they missed the point. They were religious, but yet they weren't faithful to God. 
And then at the end of chapter 12, Jesus teaches about who he is as he is the son of David, but also David's Lord and, and about a true heart that is set on sacrificial living, um, not self-promotion at the very end of chapter 12. So now we have here Mark 13, which is the last chapter before uh, the uh, arrest and trial and crucifixion of Jesus. And they are leaving the temple. It's, it's this kind of summary that Jesus has done everything that he was going to do in the temple, and now they are walking away from the temple. He's kind of finished his work there. He's basically kind of lit it on fire and walked away uh, in a metaphorical way of, of thinking about it. And as they are leaving, in verse 1 it says, And he came out of the temple, one of his disciples, we don't know which one, said, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. It would be a beautiful sight if you've seen an artist's rendition of it. And as you read the description of it in, uh, in the Bible, the temple would be such an amazing thing to see. The white stone gleaming in the sun, literally shining uh, in the sun, and all the adornments around it, and to even, even get a peek inside the temple where everything was overlaid with gold and how it was intricately carved. And it just would be an amazing thing to see. And then you, you take a step back and see the whole complex. You've heard of maybe Solomon's Portico, which is an, an area adjacent to the temple, um, it was obviously covered uh, and had these huge columns. And it was said that three grown men could barely fit their arms around it, like touching. Like that's how big the columns were. Uh, and it was this amazing feat of human engineering. It would have been a very impressive sight. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. They would have been something to see. It, it would be a, a tourist destination. If you've ever gone somewhere to see a, a huge building or something that's been a producer that just stops you in your tracks. The temple is impressive. It, it, it is impressive, and it is a, a demonstration of, uh, of human ingenuity and, and construction that is beautiful. But yet, the heart of this disciple is a little bit misguided. He wasn't just saying, man, that's impressive, Jesus. All right, let's go. It's more of a, look at this. Look what we have. Man, we have it made in the shade. This is, who, who's, nobody's got it better than us, right? Here's this impressive building, this impressive place of worship, let alone the fact that it was, in a sense, hollow because of the religious leaders. But this disciple says, Jesus, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And what do you think he was expecting Jesus to say? You're right, <laughs> pretty impressive. I don't know what, what his, his thinking, what he, was, he was obviously bragging about the temple, but what did he think Jesus was going to say? I doubt he thought that Jesus was going to say what he said. Verse 2, and Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Do you see them? Obviously, it's a rhetorical question. Yes, he sees them. <laughs> he just pointed them out. And that word great is the idea of, of majestic, powerful, it's, it's that, uh, um, just that, that exemplariness uh, of, of the buildings. You see these great buildings. He's almost like saying, you know what? You're right. They are pretty impressive. Oh, they're so amazing. But do you know what's going to happen? He says, there will not be left here one stone upon another 
that will not be thrown down. You talk about throwing a wet blanket on a conversation. <laughs> Jesus, look at this amazing temple and all the buildings. It's pretty impressive. You know, one day it's going to crash down to the ground. That's pretty impressive. You know, one day it's going to be destroyed. <laughs> it's like, wah, wah, wah. Thanks, Jesus. What Jesus is doing here is he's foreshadowing, he's foretelling, he's prophesying about the destruction of the temple, of this this iconic building that was at the heart of not only the worship of the, of, the, of the nation, but basically the heart of the nation itself. Going to Jerusalem, going to the temple, going up to the temple. It's at the heart of it. And it's in a sense, Jesus is saying, you, you see this, the heart of the nation, it's gonna be ripped out. It's gonna be destroyed. It's gonna be overrun. So much to the degree that there will not be one stone left upon another. You might say, well, you can still go to the wailing wall today. And it's, Jesus is using that statement in, as hyperbole. He's, he's saying it's going to be utterly destroyed. There's not going to be anything left that's going to be really recognizable of the temple itself. There will not be one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that's interesting to think about just in the physical sense because those stones were huge and how many men it took to move them the destruction was going to have to be direct and on purpose intentional to knock down these stones somebody's not just going to come in and say okay we're in charge now get out of the temple but this is a really nice building we're still going to use it we'll turn it into a public library or something like that no the fact that it was torn stone from stone demonstrates the anger and the animosity towards God and towards the, the religion uh, of the nation that it would be completely and utterly torn down. Not one stone left upon another. Jesus says, you can't put your hope in this thing. Don't put your hope in the wrong thing, disciples. This is in a sense, the culmination of his teaching again and again throughout Mark 11 and Mark 12 is Jesus is in the temple. He's talking to the religious leaders and he's saying, you're, you're missing the points. You don't know the word of God. You're leading the people astray. You are corrupting the worship of this nation. The temple itself has been corrupted. And the ultimate result of this corruption is the death, in a sense, of the temple. It's gonna be destroyed. Jesus pronounces this woe upon the temple as a culmination of his teaching against it. And what is he saying now? In a sense that there is no longer a need for this temple for it will be done away with. For Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the one who's gonna be built upon now. And there's no gonna longer be worshiping at the temple, but rather worshiping in spirit and truth for the Holy Spirit will live inside of us in 1 Corinthians, it says that the, the, the body of believers is the temple, that you yourself individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's gone from, from brick and mortar to flesh and bone, being, in a sense, the temple of God. Beware of putting your hope in the wrong thing. This disciple, we don't know who it was, was so caught up in the oppressiveness of the temple, that that's where his hope was lying. Who could tear this down? And Jesus says, somebody will. Somebody will. 
Jesus is putting a final statement on his opinion of the temple. It will be done away with. The hope of the nation, the hope of the people, is not in a fancy, beautiful building, but in the chief cornerstone that was rejected. Their hope should be in Jesus. I think this is a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for us in a practical sense of buildings, right? I am praying for the day when we as a body can gather together as a whole body in a building where we have space to meet our needs. That's a good prayer. It's a, it's a good thing to, to think for. But I need to remind myself that that's not the end. That's not what it's about. Buildings are means. They're tools to help us do ministry, to help us to provide a place to worship and to be a light to our community, to be used. But they aren't the end-all, be-all. And I think this disciple here says, you know what, look at this temple we got. We got it. When it's, no, where, where's our heart? What, what is God doing? Are we proclaiming the gospel as we should? Are we holding fast to truth as we should? Are we seeking to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ? We can do that without a building or with a building. <laughs> we can do that uh, here, there, or anywhere. As a body gathered together to worship under the word, submitting ourselves to that. It's a very useful thing. It can be used in a great way, but we can't put our hope in that. Just as disciples could not put their hope in this building, how often do we put our hope in the wrong thing? As individuals, we put our hope in, oh, this is going to be the next thing. This, this, you know, uh, this event, or, or always looking forward to, right? Well, now it's going to be easier than this. If this just happened, right? We're looking for something to put our hope in when really the only hope that we have is in Christ, to look to him, the chief cornerstone. As Jesus prophesies here about the destruction of the temple and putting our hope in the wrong thing, this came to pass, this destruction of the temple came to pass in 70 AD when Jerusalem was overrun by the Romans and the temple was destroyed and still to this day has not been rebuilt. In fact, if you're familiar with Jerusalem and with the Temple Mount, there's actually the Dome of the Rock there, which is a, a Muslim site of worship. So you talk about, in a sense, profaning the name of God on the Temple Mount. You have a place of worship for a false god there. Jesus' prediction came to pass in 70 AD. The temple was destroyed and has not been rebuilt. But Jesus was crucified and he was buried, but yet he was raised from the dead. We are to put our hope in Christ and in Christ alone and not in things like the temple, in earthly things, things that are useful and can be great tools in advancing the gospel, but that is not where our hope is found. Jesus confronts this disciple's thinking. And we move to verse three now. And they've exited Jerusalem and they're now on the Mount of Olives. Um, not a literal Mount of Olives for those of you who like olives. I'm a big olive fan. Uh, olives are delicious. It's a hill called the Mount of Olives. Why? Well, there was an abundance of olive trees there. Uh, and it was opposite of Jerusalem to the east. And Jerusalem really sits on top of a hill, on top of a mountain. And so anytime anybody says we're going up to Jerusalem, they are literally going up. You go uphill to Jerusalem. And it says they go down and across the valley, there's a valley there from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, which is to the east. And so 
sitting or standing on the Mount of Olives, you can look out across Jerusalem, across this valley. And so as they are seated on the Mount of Olives, they have, an, they have a wonderful view of, uh, of the temple, of the temple mound and everything in Jerusalem. And they, they can see it. And they can take stock of what's all there. So Jesus sits on this Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And this is where we get the name the Olivet Discourse. You might have heard that before. The Olivet Discourse, discourse means teaching, and all of it from Mount of Olives. Uh, it's found here in Mark 13 and also in Luke. Um, but the, the main passage is in Matthew 24. It's the, the fullest uh, accounting of the Olivet Discourse in, in Matthew 24. And Jesus starts to speak here to his disciples. And he's continuing this thought of the temple being torn down, this destruction that is, is coming. And we know that because Peter, James, and John, and Andrew ask him, hey, what, what did you mean by what you said to that disciple? So Jesus sits, and his disciples come to him privately, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. And it's interesting, the inclusion of Andrew right here. But these were the first uh, disciples that were called. So it's kind of hearkening back to the beginning of Mark. Peter, James, and John were, in a sense, the inner three. But then Andrew is there as well. And they come to him and they ask him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So they ask, what, or excuse me, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that accompany when all these things are about to be accomplished? You read that and you might think, is that one question or two? <laughs> what are they asking? Luke uh, and Matthew separated into two questions, and that's important. It's important because they are asking true two questions. They're first asking, when will the temple be destroyed, and when will the end of the age be? Meaning, when are you going to come back, Jesus? So they are already realizing that this isn't it, that, <laughs> that Jesus is uh, coming, that, that he's not going to be set up as king. They're already wondering, okay, what, when is the end going to be? When's the end of the age? So they ask two questions. When is the temple going to be destroyed? And then when will the end of all these things be? When, when will the end begin before you come back to make everything right? That's important because throughout the rest of Mark 13, Jesus is going to speak of some things that relate to the temple and speak of some things that relate to that, that return at, at the end when he comes back again. And so you kind of have this, this conglomeration of, man, this is hard to understand. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Uh, that's okay to, to have that, that thought because it's helpful for us to remember the big picture. The big picture isn't, here's a list of dates for you guys, Jesus is saying to his disciples, is he's going to answer their questions and he's going to challenge them and remind them of what they need to do in the midst of all that's going to happen. Because Jesus really doesn't give them a satisfactory answer. If I was one of those disciples, I would want to be like, okay, um, June 26th, you know, 300 AD. Okay, gotcha, Jesus. I'm ready. <laughs> no, he doesn't say anything like that. He really just gives some generalities, some characteristics. And then he mentions really one event that already has been mentioned earlier in the Bible. And we'll get there. Um, probably next week, <laughs> judging by our time right now, uh, the abomination of, of desolation. 
But let's look here at verses 3 through 13 that really speak of the coming difficulties. And this uh, is leading up to the destruction of, of the temple uh, with some application to the coming of Christ the second time. Does that make sense? Maybe not really. <laughs> There's layers, is a good way to put it, to what Jesus says here and how it applies then uh, to the disciples, but then also in the age to come. So they asked, tell us, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? And what is the sign when all this is to be accomplished, when, when the end is coming? Verse five, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. That's important. That idea is what Jesus rehearses again and again in Mark 13. See that no one leads you astray. That, that word see is, is similar to beware. Beware. Watch out that no one leads you astray. And then we look at verse 9, and he says, but be on your guard. So this is the big idea here, is we need to beware of what's happening. Be on your guard. Be vigilant. Be watchful. The command is for vigilance. Vigilance to what? That we would not be led astray. Why? Because he says, many will come, in verse 6, in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. So there will be many saying, I am he. Who is the he? Jesus. These are false prophets, false teachers, and they will lead many astray. Many will come saying, I am Jesus, follow me, and then lead them to destruction. Um, throughout history, there have been cults and groups and crackpots of people who thought that they were Jesus or claimed to be Jesus or claimed to be a Messiah and have gathered a following to themselves and, and led them off. It especially seemed to happen in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. There was this, and I think that's more of it just because of the, the amount of information and how information can spread, but these cults would, would grab people and would suck them in. And there are numerous accounts of people committing suicide as a group because they thought that God was coming back. Or their leaders made them do things because, well, this is what the Messiah wants and I am the Messiah. There's all kinds that some of you probably know of by, by name. You heard in the news these cults where this has happened. This isn't a, I've never heard of that before. No, this happens. People are led astray by people who claim to be Jesus or claim to be from God, claim to be a Messiah. But Jesus here says, beware, be on your guard for those that will come saying, I am he and will lead many astray. And he says this, verse seven, and when you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. You might think, well, there's a contradiction. <laughs> when you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. Once again, in our day and age, there are wars and rumor of wars all the time. But really, that's been the case all of human history. It's just more heightened now because of social media, because of technology. And you know what's going on on the other side of the world right now because of how fast information can spread. In 1900, that was not the case, let alone in 1000 AD. But yet there's always been this attitude of wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus says, do not be alarmed. Well, why not, Jesus? Well, this must take place. 
but the end is not yet. Jesus here says, listen, there's gonna be coming difficulties, but understand this, disciples, there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars, yet this is commonplace. This is commonplace to man since the beginning of time. Cain and Abel. Of course, it wasn't a war, but there weren't that many other people to have on your side, right? Division, conflict. Throughout history, from the beginning of time, there was always conflict. There's always wars and rumors of fighting. And Jesus says, listen, this will happen, but do not be alarmed. Meaning, don't be caught up, disciples, in this hysteria and think, oh no, the end is right now. Jesus is saying there's been wars forever and there will continue to be wars. Many will come. There will be wars. He says, but this must take place. But the end is not yet. Verse eight, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus here also wraps in these natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, pandemics, hurricanes, right? We can see these things and witness them and think, oh, I don't know. Is the end near? Well, these things have been happening for centuries. It's the effect of sin on God's creation. Right, And so what Jesus is doing here is calming the disciples, saying there's going to be wars, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be natural disasters, there's going to be difficulties. But understand this, don't become crazy, disciples. Remember that God uses these things in many different ways, and he is sovereign over them all. Jesus describes, one author says, various kinds of events that will characterize the present age but should not be mistaken for harbingers of the destruction of Jerusalem or the end of all things. False messiahs, catastrophic events, persecution. We'll get to in verse 9. I think this is important for us. We need to be aware that we don't let the effects of sin in the world around us cause us to become hysterical when it comes to the return of Christ. The effects of sin have been seen for centuries on our world through catastrophes and wars and famines. And so Jesus is calming the disciples, but he says, you need to be vigilant. And in the midst of those things, don't be led astray by those who say, hey, I am the Messiah, follow me. Verse nine, but be on your guard. Be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils. The they here are the supposed enemies uh, are against the gospel. And Jesus says, you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So be on your guard, be vigilant because people will arrest you, councils, synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings. And this has been fulfilled even in the book of Acts. Peter on Pentecost, as he preached, and the other disciples, right? They're taken before the Sanhedrin, and they say, hey, you can't preach the gospel anymore. And they say, uh, we're to obey God rather than men. And then even further on in the book of Acts, Paul, Paul was arrested. He was brought before Festus and Felix. And ultimately, it says that he was taken before Caesar to really the ruler of the known world. And they had opportunity to speak the gospel. He says, there's going to be coming difficulties. 
Beware of coming difficulties, but remain on your guard. He says, verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. What, what is he saying here? This isn't a, okay, once the gospel is shared to all nations, then I'm going to come back. It's not the idea of, well, we've, we've got 23,000 ethnic groups down. We got two more to go, and then Jesus is coming back. What Jesus is saying here is that the gospel is going to spread throughout the known world. And really, by the time of Paul, it has. Paul had gone to Rome. He'd gone to, uh, to be before Caesar. It, it had made its way into, into Spain, into Gaul. And really, through the known world at that time, the gospel had spread. What Jesus is saying is that in the midst of all these difficulties and all the unknown, the gospel will spread and you need to be used to spread it. And they say, when, you, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So Jesus encourages them and he reminds them that they don't even really have this idea that the Holy Spirit is gonna be working in them. Several commentators said this about verse uh, 11. This is not an excuse not to prepare for a lesson, <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. No, the context of this passage of this verse is you are arrested, you are thrown in jail, and you are brought before somebody of position or power without preparation. And he says, guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to help you. This isn't saying, hey, you know you have to teach a lesson in three weeks, so just blow it off until the day of, and the Holy Spirit will give you something to say. <laughs> That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is that the Holy Spirit will give them power and understanding and will speak through them as they, during these difficult circumstances, unsuspecting are caught up and thrown in jail and expected to speak. Verse 12, and Jesus continues to show how this conflict is going to continue, not only between fellow countrymen and, in a sense, other citizens, other people, but even within families. Verse 12, brothers will deliver brother over to death and to father his children, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So he, he shows how as things continue to progress, the gospel will divide families. And this idea of betrayal is betraying over death, literally murdering. It's someone you love, someone you are blood relative with will deliver you over to authority so you are killed. That betrayal runs deep. Brother to brother, father to child, child to parents, every aspect. It's gonna be a very difficult time. Verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. We see the ultimate end. It's we are hated by all because of our faith in Christ. And he concludes with the statement, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's not the idea that, well, if you get through all this, then you are saved, but rather the one who is saved will persevere. You will remain faithful. You will not give in to the temptation to recant or to say, you know what? I don't believe in Jesus any longer. Throughout history, the martyrs were given opportunity to recant of their faith in Christ and so they wouldn't be eaten by a lion or thrown into prison or beaten or flogged. And again and again, those who were faithful, those who were endured, demonstrated their faith by not giving in. So Jesus gives his first answer here. Hey, there's gonna be a lot of crazy things happening, disciples. Don't get caught up in hysteria. But understand that the gospel 
is going to continue to go forth, but there's going to be resistance to the gospel. And in that resistance, you need to be faithful and understand as difficult things happen and you will start to be thrown in jail and expected to speak, God will be with you to help you. Jesus gives these general signs that do not indicate the end. And I think this is interesting. One author said this, cataclysmic events that produce devastation for the lives and nations are often mistaken for evidence that the end is near. I think this is key. Because if my world is ending, maybe the whole world is ending, right? If my world is ending, perhaps the whole world is ending. We can think of that even in our own nation right now with difficult things happening and the way that it's going. You think, oh man, the end is near. Well, you are looking with a very small lens at the world in which you inhabit here in the United States. There's a lot more going on in the world than just what's happening here. And I think that's important because we can, we can see the circumstances, we can see the headlines and think, oh no, the end is near. But yet we need to have a larger view of the world and what God is doing. And Jesus here is warning his disciples not to be caught up. Why? Because they have a job to do, to share the gospel, to be bold in their proclamation. This doesn't mean that these events are not in any way part of the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be uh, there's going to be destruction. But it's going to be to the level that there is absolutely no doubt that it's accompanied with the coming of the Son of Man. And we'll look at that uh, in a few weeks. The call here is for vigilance and to beware of coming difficulties. They want to know when the destruction of the temple is coming. Jesus says, "There's going to be difficulties. You're going to be arrested. People are going to hate you." He doesn't say, and then the temple is going to be destroyed. He just gives the characteristics of what things will be like. And they are to be on guard. They are to be faithful. Jesus gives us descriptions of what things will be like as they continue on. But rather than give specifics, Jesus describes that cultural attitude towards the gospel. And he calls them to be on guard, to be ready for anything and be faithful. Jesus does not give time he does not give a place, but he calls his disciples to be faithful no matter what happens. And I think this is key. He is concerned less and less about the itinerary of when things will be happening, but he's much more concerned about the conduct and character of the disciples who will be enduring it. Jesus is concerned about the character and the conduct of the disciples and those who will be enduring these difficult times. And I think that's good for us to remember regardless of what's happening around us. And we may want to know specifics. I'd love that. That'd be great. But yet what God calls us to do is to be faithful where we're at with what we have right now. Does our character and our conduct match that of a disciple of Jesus Christ? May we not stick our head in the grounds, but may we be on guard and be vigilant and keep things in perspective. Keep trusting the one who has planned it all out and even though we don't know the specific plan and the time frame, we do know how we are called to act, to be faithful to him, to not put our hope in things that pass away, in the wrong things, and, but to also beware of coming difficulties, that things are going to be hard. It's part of it. So that's our, our reminder from these first two points. Next week, we'll look at our third point, beware of coming enemies, uh, which we'll talk about the abomination of desolation, 
you want to do a little research ahead of time, I encourage you to read the book of Daniel, uh, specifically Daniel's 9, 10, uh, excuse me, 9, 11, and 12. You'll see it referenced there. And uh, we'll talk about that next week and what Jesus is, is working towards there. But a reminder for us to be faithful in the midst of difficult circumstances, to be faithful and not to put our hope in the wrong things. May we continue to look to Christ today, in the future, whatever he has for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage. And Lord, the, the desire to know more. And even these disciples, they wanted to know, Lord, yet you didn't just tell them everything. You called them to a life of following after Christ. A life of knowing this is what you want us to do. More than uh, what to do, uh, you want us to act, to live out, to have our conduct and our character matched without what we say we believe. Lord, help us to be faithful disciples in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in the midst of some of these things that we read here. Lord, may we be on guard and vigilant. And may we continue to pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come to make the wrongs right, to make the rough smooth, to make the crooked straight. Lord, to set up your kingdom on earth. Lord, to deal with sin and wickedness. But as we wait, may we be faithful as you call us to. Lord, we love you. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.